0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, thank you for being with us. It does encourage us that you're here. If everybody will, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We will continue in just a few moments the lesson that we began this morning. We'll pick up uh, where we left off this morning. It is wonderful to be together. You know, this morning, uh, we had two worship services here, and then the Mount Juliet congregation had another worship service at Fall Creek Falls. And I understand that that uh, 265 were in attendance there. And just as Tim Martin got up to preach, the thunder cracked real loud and it poured down raining, but they continued to worship. And uh, we are thankful that they have the opportunity to be together, and we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be together uh, this evening. Uh, We mentioned this morning, and a little bit even last week, but we want to welcome Elsa Sims uh, with us as our In turn, we welcomed the other three last week, and we're so blessed with those four. But then also, uh, just as Griff has mentioned, we have a fifth intern this year and our missions intern, which is the first time the congregation has ever done this. And we're thankful for Alan and the work that he's going to do this summer. And uh, let's all be praying for him, especially as he travels tomorrow, but then about the work as a whole. And we're thankful for the many, many wonderful resources that God brings us I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but you and I need to pause and we need to reflect and be mindful of the many, many blessings God gives us. Uh, We have such capable workers among us this summer, and uh, we're just grateful for that. And we're thankful for these young uh, men and women nine days ago i want to show you a picture of what filled this stage at our preschool graduation program nine days ago Uh, that's the kind of joy that just warms your heart and uh, then the next slide shows us the graduating class and i know a lot of that graduating class is probably at fall creek falls but if we have a young person here tonight that graduated from mount juliet church of christ preschool last Friday a week ago. Can you stand up and wave real big so we can see you? Do we have? All right. That's a big stand up right there. All right. Congratulations. We're thankful for you. Uh, You know, just this past week, two different times, I've either been at the door or walking out of the door and a young mother that's not a part of the Mount Juliet congregation walks up with an envelope and says, I'm looking For someone to give this to, I think maybe her name is Tina Edwards, and it is the information to make application to enroll their student next year in the preschool. And you know what's interesting is how they can't help but go on about the joy that they have. As one young mother said to me this week, I toured the place the other day. I can't believe we have that kind of school right here in Mount Juliet. She said, I am so thrilled to be able to have my child here next fall. Listen, again, how blessed we are to have so many women that give their life and working in that school and uh, we appreciate all that you do just another quick slides of about 10 days ago we enjoyed a teacher's appreciation dinner together and we appreciate the beautiful setting and then in the next slide you see there tony and wow those ribs they were worth the drive out and uh but the fellowship was wonderful and we just truly are thankful for each of our teachers and the good work that you do And uh, what a blessing it is to be together twice a week to study God's Word and to be in that classroom situation with somebody that studied hard and they have prepared and they are ready to teach God's Word. And what a blessing that is. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. There's been a problem, as we mentioned this morning in verse one. The problem that he immediately addresses is that there is sexual immorality among them. A man has his father's wife. And you would think, okay, that's what this whole chapter is going to be about. But instead, it's not what the whole chapter is about. Instead, what he does beginning in verse two is to say, you are creating a culture of acceptance here that is not righteous and it's not healthy spiritually. And notice what he says in verse two, where he says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. We spent quite a bit of time this morning looking how in a few of the six times that the word puffed up is used in 1 Corinthians. It's only seven times in the entire New Testament. And we see that there is a problem of arrogance that accepts sin into the church. And it is a problem of arrogance that believes... That their love for their own thinking trumps their love for God. Now, we don't have time to go back over that again tonight, but it's out of 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, that arrogance causes us to go beyond the writings of God, the holy scriptures. And in 1 Corinthians 8, it is arrogance. It's that puffed upness that causes us to go beyond the love of God. And so What happens in this situation? Well, notice the last part of verse two. He says, what should have happened is that individual should have been removed from among you. But instead of that individual being removed because you're very sad that this is happening and et cetera. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit, in just a few more minutes. But instead in verse six, they were glorying about it. Look who we accept. Just come as you are and we accept you. Look, we are the most loving people on earth. No, not if you place the highest priority, loving God. Listen, we don't accept and encourage people to stay in a life that separates their life from God for an eternity and then call it love. Now, you got that? That's an important statement. We do not encourage someone to live a life that separates them from God for an eternity and call it love. And so here, Paul calls them on that and says, You ought to be mourning right now. You ought to have separated that sin from the church, but instead you're glorying. What needs to be practiced here? Let's just call it the leaven principle. And if you will, read with me three verses. We're gonna drop down and we're gonna read verse six, seven, and eight. We wanna see this principle and then we're gonna come back to the details and then we're gonna close by looking at how that relationship is also affected when it's not a brother in Christ. Look, if you will, 1 Corinthians 5, beginning verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. You see, we are truly to become something new whenever we leave the world and we are a part of the Lord's kingdom, we are the Lord's church. That is a new lump, so to speak. Not the old, the leaven here is representation of sin. And so purge out the old leaven, the old sin, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, Our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you will, be dropping back to Exodus. We don't have a slide for this. So if you have your Bible, be dropping back to Exodus, the 12th chapter. I want to remind you of just a few verses over there. And as you're turning back to there, I also want to remind you that it's something many of you know very, very well. But let's make sure we say this and not assume that we all know this. When there is a lump of dough, if there is leaven, but it is not in contact with that dough, that leaven does not affect the dough. It is only when that leaven comes in among the dough that then it does have an effect. Now note this. When it does come in among, it doesn't affect just a little portion of the dough. When it comes into contact with it, it permeates the entire loaf of dough. Do you see what he's getting at here? Sin. Sin when it is welcomed and accepted, the sinner themselves is not the only one at risk. But that sin by nature is going to permeate the rest of the congregation. And the law or the principle of leaven is that the leaven must be separate from the dough. Do you remember when the children of Israel were going to be led out of Egyptian slavery? They were going to have their freedom. They were going to be separated from the bondage that kept them. There were 10 plagues. And you remember, even after the ninth plague, Pharaoh's heart was still hardened and he would not let the people go. The 10th plague was going to be so powerful and have such great meaning that it will never be forgotten as long as the earth stands. It was the death of the firstborn. Every Israelite and Egyptian, the firstborn human and animal would die unless that household had taken a lamb. If you want to glance at it, it's there in the 12th chapter. You see verse five, it had to be a lamb without spot and blemish a male of the first year. In other words, it was an excellent, it was the best of lambs and it was without blemish and it had, to, it had to die. And we see in the very next verse that the blood had to be shed. And as we read down, we see that the blood had to be put on three sides, the doorpost and lintel lentil at the top. And then we see that there had to be a preparation of the lamb to eat the lamb. And then in verse 11, while they were eating the lamb, they'd have their belt on their waist, their sandals on their feet, their staff in their hand, and they would eat it in haste. Why? It's the Lord's Passover. In other words, they were making themselves ready. God was going to take them on a mission. They were going to leave slavery, and they were going to a land of rest, freedom, a land of rest. Now, Something else that became a part of this was also that leaven had to be removed from the house. That's interesting, isn't it? Go through all the cupboards. Is there leaven anywhere else in this house? Seven days was the feast of the unleavened bread. For seven days, no leaven would be eaten. No leaven would be kept in the house. If you want to read briefly about it, look at verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your house. Now notice how stern this is. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day into the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Stated again in 19, from seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house. Since whoever eats that leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. Listen, when Paul states this in 1 Corinthians 5, he is stating a very clear and strong principle. They are welcoming This sinner in among them, a man that is refusing to repent. Perhaps you're a guest here tonight and perhaps you're saying, what, do these people think they're perfect? No, it's one thing to know that we're sinners and to repent of sin and to turn to live a life that is dedicated to holiness. And when we do see ourselves sinning again, we repent of it and we continue to keep that mark of holiness. This man wasn't doing that. This man was living in this sexually immoral relationship and had no intentions at the time this is being written of repenting of it and turning away from it. It's an entire different thing to choose to live a life in sin and to be one that has repented of sin and is choosing to live a life of holiness. And so what do we read here in these verses 5, 6, and 7? That individual represents the leaven. The sin that has become a part of his life should have been removed. Why? We're going to ultimately see three reasons why, but I want to go ahead and say them to you so you can be looking now. And if you were here this morning from 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, you see that if you're puffed up, it's not because you have the love of God first. I want you to see that from all that we study today, it is very clear that the reason the individual has to be removed, first and foremost, is because we love God. That's interesting, isn't it? The person is removed because we love God. Second, the person is removed because we love them. And we want to get their attention to save their soul. But third, the person is removed because we love the church. And the church is the leaven. And if you bring in what is brought in today will be accepted next year and will be practiced by others. It literally is the law of the leaven, the principle of the leaven. So what are... The details. In just a moment, we're going to see that. But on your way back over to the text, stop by Acts, the fifth chapter. I want to remind you of something just to kind of see maybe from a different passage, how this might be lived out. You remember in Acts, the fifth chapter, the church up to this time was just growing and growing and growing. And, and this is really the first time that, that we see the church run into a, a, a stumbling block, if you will, run into a difficult day individuals were selling their land and they were giving the proceeds to the church so that the apostles could distribute them to brothers and sisters who were in need. Ananias and Sapphira apparently felt like that was a very good thing to do. They made the choice to sell their land. They made the choice to come back and say, we have given all of the sale of the land to you when actually they didn't give all of the sale of the land. And so God, through Peter, calls them out for lying. First, he talks to the husband, and then second, talks to the wife. After he talks to the husband, God strikes the husband dead. Then after he talks to the wife, God strikes the wife dead. Now, obviously, it's a severe punishment for their lying. But have you ever thought about what it did for the church? What did it do for the church when two members were disciplined? Well, let's read in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now let's pause there for a moment. Why did great fear come upon the church? Well, I'll state the obvious. People were starting probably thinking, wow, it's really important that we tell the truth. And and if you don't tell the truth, God, God might strike you dead if you don't tell the truth. Well, shouldn't we have just as great concern about telling the truth before Ananias and Sapphira were stricken dead than after? Well, of course we should have just as great concern before as afterwards, but isn't it interesting our human nature? What do we need? We need reminders. Listen, discipline actually serves not only as a reminder to the ones who are being disciplined, discipline serves as a reminder to everybody else that is a part in watching the discipline as it takes place. But have you also thought about the old adage, birds of a feather flock together? What kind of members does a lukewarm church attract? Have you ever thought about that? What kind of members do you think this congregation of the Lord's church has attracted in Jerusalem? Well, this gives us a little bit of insight. Let's read verse 13 together. Yet none of the rest dared join them but the people esteem them highly. You know, you have an old fellow that lives down the road and he's been lying all of his life and and says, hey, you're going to become a part of those disciples of Jesus Christ. No, 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 sir. I don't have any intentions to stop lying. I'm not going to become a part. You you hear what happens when you lie over there. God struck you dead. I'm not going to become a part of that church. But I tell you what, I respect them. That was the Lord's summary and explanation. What happened when these individuals were disciplined? That law of leaven, we have sin that has come inside the camp. What do we do? God says, I'm gonna remove it for you. What was the result? The church said, wow, sin is a serious issue. I need to fear God and I need to live righteously. And what about those who are on the outside? Some were on the outside and said, well, I'm not gonna be becoming a part of them. Why? Well." I suppose it's because they had no intentions of living up to the standard that God had placed before them. I wonder how many of you have ever gone to look at a new car at a dealership and feel like you've been baited and switched. I know some have experienced that. The old call the dealership. You have this particular car? Sure. You okay. The Okay. Good. Good. You go to look at it. And then when you get there, you know, we must've sold that car yesterday. Could I show you something else? You've heard that line. I wonder how many people feel like that's the way we do them about Christianity. We soft sell it. It's so easy. It's such a good life. Oh, it's going to just be blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And then they come and maybe they even become a member. And then after a little while, they study enough to realize God is asking for our all. He's asking for us to be willing to lay down our life. He's asking us to sacrifice everything. There's nothing simple, there's nothing lightweight, there's nothing casual about coming to the Lord. And so here in the early church, the Lord makes it very clear, there is this standard of righteousness that I expect. And sure, there are gonna be some that hear about that, and just as it said here, They will dare not join us. Why? Because they have no desire to lay down their life for the Lord. So let's go back now to 1 Corinthians 5 and let's see what these details are. We've seen the principle of removing, but what do the details look like? There in verse 2, notice the end of verse 2. They were puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. God says, I expect you to take this man out of your fellowship. Sounds severe because it is severe. Look in verse four. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's by his authority. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Why is that person separated? We've already talked about the 11 principles to protect the church. But the second reason we see here is so that he will one day, hopefully, wake up and say, I need to crucify this fleshly nature that is ruling my life. And I need to go back to the Lord. I need to go back to his church, as he says there, so that I can be saved. Listen, back to the point we were mentioning earlier and even this morning. If the church is accepting the sinner... He has no awareness that he needs to make changes in his life. Isn't it interesting, even David, he wasn't aware of his need to repent until Nathan came to him and called him out. And it was then that even though Nathan, in a sense, wasn't disciplining him, he was definitely rebuking him. When he looks at the king and says, you are the man Brethren, in the church, going back to this morning's first point that we started with, we do not live as individuals. We live in responsibility to each other and in community to each other, in relationship and fellowship. In other words, our life makes an impact upon others. And so with that in mind, let me pause right now and ask you this. When's the last time you rebuked someone else? And if so, can you really claim to be a Christian? Can you really claim to be a part of the Lord's church when you don't care how other people live? Let them do their own thing. I I don't want to get involved. Find that. We don't find anything like that. Instead, what we find is loving your brother and sister enough to go to them and to talk with them about their sin and urge them to repent of their sin and urge them to come back home again. And now you know what the flip side of that coin is. How many of us will be drawn to God instead of driven away from God when someone comes and rebukes us? There's not anybody here perfect. And if we're in a congregation that's doing things the way it ought to be done, There ought to be from time to time throughout your life, someone that loves you dearly coming to you and saying, we need to talk. I'm concerned about you. I heard about what you're doing at work. I've heard about your reputation here. I know what you've said there. How will you take it? Will you take it as if somebody needs to mind their own business? Back to this morning's first point. Or instead, will you take it, isn't that wonderful? I have a brother or a sister in Christ that loves me so much, they're going to obey God's will to be involved in my life. That's the details. The principle is the leaven. If we're not going to repent, there needs to be a separation. But the detail is, will somebody love us enough to come to us with care and concern for our soul? Let's keep reading here. Drop down to verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater, reviler, drunkard, or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. What does God expect? Fellowship is broken. The person will not repent. Fellowship is broken not even eating with them. How's he say it at the end of 13? Therefore, put away from among yourself the evil person. We're not gonna elaborate on these. Time doesn't permit, but I just want you to see several other passages. And if you wanna jot them down or turn quickly, let's read some other passages along these same lines. Look at 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter and verse six. 2 Thessalonians 3 and six. But we commend you, brethren, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he has received from us. And this is one of the rare times in the scriptures where the teachings of the apostles is called traditions. But he's literally saying, when the doctrine of the apostles has been delivered to you and someone is going to walk disorderly in that, the person needs to be disfellowshipped. Look, later in that same chapter, this is where it says in 14 and 15, If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. You see, that's part of that pulling them back. In other words, when someone is very confident in their sin, they're not going to repent of sin. And so there has to be that shame, like Nathan looking at David, you are the man, or like the church, hopefully after Paul writes this letter to them, instead of embracing this man, have you ever thought about why they would embrace him? I don't know the answer to that and you don't either, but I can tell you this, I spent some time this week thinking about it. What kind of personality does a man have when he can commit a sin that even the heathens would be ashamed of, but a congregation would embrace him? What kind of man was that? I would guess he was a man that at one time, maybe he was a great Bible teacher. Maybe he was a man that at one time in the life of that congregation was such a friendly man. You know how you run across those people that just everybody loves? Maybe he was that kind of guy and it was hard for anybody to say, hey, uh, you know, you're wrong. Maybe he was very wealthy. Maybe with his wealth, there, there was great influence. It doesn't matter. So the Bible doesn't tell us. But the point is, it was hard for these people to stand against this man when actually if they really loved him, they would want him to be ashamed of his sin, not embracing his sin. The last part of verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy. See, it's, it's never anything other than love. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17, shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. See that principle 11? You allow these things to come in through teachings that are not right. What's gonna happen? They're going to increase more and more. And notice, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. A doctor goes in to do surgery. What do you want him to say when he comes out? All of the cancer has been removed. That's good news. I'm sorry, I could only remove a portion of it and a lot more is there spreading. It's bad news. That's the physical body. Let's get a lot more serious than that. When God looks down at His spiritual body here at Mount Juliet, does He look down and say, you have some cancer that needs to be removed? Or would He say, thanks to your devotion to me, it's all been removed. That's a sobering thought. We have a great responsibility to keep the Lord's body pure. Let's read another one. Titus, the third chapter in verse 10 and 11, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Look at Romans 6 and 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. And Matthew, the 18th chapter is the passage that gives us the most teaching on this in detail and places it in a step one, step two and step three order. But I'm gonna skip right down to the step that pertains to the entire church. And he says in Matthew 18 and 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and tax collector. Why? Why would we do that? Because we love God, we love the sinner, and we love the church. To embrace or to ignore sin is not loving God, the sinner, or the church. So does that mean we go to work tomorrow and we see a sexually immoral person, we say, sorry, I can't talk to you ever again in my life, and I'm not going to eat lunch with you today or ever again unless you repent of your sexually immoral ways. Is this a standard that God gives only within His family? Or is this something He expects us to live wherever we go? Definitely. It's a standard only within His family. The world will never live the morality of Christianity, ever. The world will never live the morality of Christianity. When Paul first went into Corinth, what did he do? Did he go in with, with a picketing sign, picketing against those that were sexually immoral? Did he go in and the first thing he did was start picking them apart of all the immoral acts that they were taking part in? No, you remember the first thing he did was he went into them and he told them about Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Listen, it isn't until someone decides that they want Jesus as their savior, that they're going to be willing to live a life that is sanctified, a life that is set apart. And we're getting the cart before the ox whenever we start talking with people about the standard of morality that the Lord requires before we ever start talking about the Lord. And so we close this lesson, look at verse nine. First Corinthians the fifth chapter verse nine. He talks about something that he wrote to them earlier that we don't have an account of this. And he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And now he realizes he, he, he has to give more clarity to that because he meant just within the brotherhood and they had taken it apparently some of them thinking perhaps outside the brotherhood. So he clarifies in verse 10. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. And then verse 11 is what we read just a few moments ago where he says, But if it is a brother, you don't fellowship them, you don't eat with them, etc. So what's the message? Paul clearly states if you're not going to have anything to do with sexually immoral people, with covetous people, you'd have to find another planet to live on. He says, of course, that's not the teaching. The only way we're going to reach the world is by making contact with them, going and living as a light in the world, being sought in the world, loving the world, loving our neighbor as ourselves, And in that, allowing them the opportunity to come to know Jesus And as they come to know Jesus, it's not the bait and switch. Let me water it down. It's letting them come to know Jesus. And when they learn about repentance, what does it really mean to repent? You know, it means a lot. And studying in scriptures, what it means to repent. And then some will come to the Lord and some will become our brothers and sisters and many will not. Because in their view, God simply asked too much. What I learned today. Number one, leaven, which is sin, must be removed from the lump, which is the church, or the church is going to suffer. Number two, church discipline is out of love, love for God, love for the sinner, and love for the church. Number three, the world will never live up to the morals of Christianity. But anyone in the world can decide to become a Christian and they can live up to that. Tonight. After a day like today, I don't ever know exactly what's running through your mind. I hope that's what's running through our mind. is I love the church. And that I have a great responsibility to the church. I hope no one leaves here with a mindset of it's my life and I'll do what I want. But I hope we all leave here with that weight of responsibility that the church is a great blessing, but the church is also a great responsibility. Tonight, there's not anybody here perfect, but we can all choose to repent and be forgiven. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, or if you're ready to come home again, if we can pray with you, if we can help you, if we encourage you in any way, it comes.